0: Greetings, and welcome to this week's performance of My Favourite Flop. At this time, we ask that you turn up the volume on all cell phones, laptops, and car stereos as loud as possible. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to season Season two two.
0: of My Favorite Flop. It's very exciting.
1: It's very exciting. I know you have all been waiting with bated breath for us to return. Mm. uh, But, you know, the holidays, life, things like that. But we took a little bit of a break. And we are back with a brand new season of My Favorite Flop. And it's even floppier than the last one.
0: We are very excited about what season two is going to bring all of you. And don't worry, we're not changing it up so much.
1: All right? No. We're just tweaking some things. Making some tweaks. Based on our, like, observations of what worked and what maybe didn't work the
0: bestest. But first, Bobby, what have you been listening to? Okay.
1: So... I have been listening to a show that played on Broadway for a bit of time, um, and I actually thought it was a flop, and and it's not, but I just, I had like a really big aversion to it, which we'll talk about in two seconds, but A Bronx Tale.
0: Oh, I liked A Bronx Tale.
1: Yeah, I I've tried to listen to it before. I did make myself listen to the entire thing in preparation for tonight's episode because it's very on brand uh with where our episode is going. Difficult one for me to get into.
0: Uh yeah, I don't know about it. just listening to it, seeing okay. it was really cool. Okay. And also the night I saw it, there were two guys from the Bronx who got into it. Oh, that makes in the it audience even better. Oh my gosh. Like there was an actual fist fight that happened in the audience. <laughs>
1: oh no. Oh in no in the
0: middle of the mother's ballad, which was no. quite funny.
1: No, 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 no. I mean, that's like life imitating art. Imitating. It really was. It oh was pretty God. great. I think I might have enjoyed it more if there were a couple Italian guys from the Bronx fighting with each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, the show definitely has some great Alan tunes in it, but I don't know if it's maybe his best score, but it just kind of left me scratching my head. You know, it's this Italian American story, and none of the music I felt felt authentic to the Italian American experience whatsoever. You know, yeah, it kind of felt like Little Shop of Horrors and Hairspray had a baby and uh, like there was a lot of do up. and i i get that that worked for jersey boys and yes those people are italian but the people in that show like sang that music in real life so that's why that makes sense but like i don't i don't know like i just i'm like thinking like musical theater 101 and this struggle of you know this kid with with his father who has nothing to do with organized crime and then you know the sunny character like being his mentor all of the organized crime like i felt like it could have been this really great way to take different styles of music that uh, italian americans would have listened to from those perspectives you know what i mean mm. and really yeah. created a score that juxtaposed those to show you know his interior bat- battle and i just to me i was like oh it's sentimental in that alan menken way and it feels like the mm-hmm. 60s which is fun <laughs> but um Yeah, it wasn't my favorite thing on the planet. Well, anyways, Christina, what have you been listening to?
0: Well, I also stayed in theme for tonight's episode, and I went and I listened to Ain't Misbehaving."
1: Ain't misbehaving. Okay, that's a very different show. Than a Bronx still. So after you tell us about mm-hmm. Ain't Misbehaven, we're gonna have to tell our listeners what the link between the two of them is. Okay.
0: Yes. I I've I've listened to Ain't Misbehaven before, like certain songs. Um, and like it gets done regionally all the time. So I think oh, I've yeah. seen it at like one of the regional houses. Um, but it was fun listening to the original cast, and I didn't realize that Andre DeShields was in the original cast. Like, I had not made I, that connection.
1: Wait, he was?
0: hmm Oh, I I mean, I know Ken Page, and I know Nell Carter. It was him and Ken Page were the two men. Oh, and I didn't
1: realize Andre DeShields was also in it. Oh, my gosh.
0: Right? Right? Oh, my gosh. I had, no, I had not made that connection. So that was a kind of fun moment. But it's such a fun show. Like, it's just a feel-good show. And what I found fun about listening to the original cast recording was as a jukebox musical, they take great songs and they know exactly what they want to do with them right. and they have great arrangements of them. But then there was this added layer of leaning into each of the actors strengths. Absolutely. So that led it to this fun place where there's a ton of things to play with. And you can hear that in the cast recording. Um, and that that's fun.
1: I mean, you look at Nell Carter, who has such a incredibly unique voice and style of performing. And you listen to that cast recording and you think these songs were written for Nell Carter. They, they were mm-hmm. not written for Nell Carter. But uh, that's just a testament to how like artfully crafted that musical was.
0: Yeah, even in the in the recording you can hear the collaboration of everybody on the team cast yeah. and creative you know
1: No and that's So that so, was fun. That's so rare nowadays. I feel like when we get jukebox shows you don't see that molding of material like we used to see it.
0: Well, a lot of our jukebox musicals that have come out recently are autobiographical so you don't want sure. to mess with them, right? You know sure. um We'll we'll probably bring up a couple more of the jukebox musicals tonight based on who we're talking about, but yeah, no, it's it's different when it's when it's for an autobiographical situation rather than like "Ain't Misbehaving," where it is about creating a show from the music, right, and and pushing that forward,
1: right. Well, Christina, I think we should um let our listeners know. Because Ain't Mitzbein and A Bronx Tale couldn't be farther from each other.
0: I know, right? <laughs> what
1: What is what is the underlying link between both of these musicals? Because it ties in to where we're going tonight.
0: They both played at the Long Acre Theater.
1: Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> no. Bubble. So the musical we're talking about on My Favorite Flop Tonight also played at the Long Acre. The reason we're covering it is because the Long Acre Theater is pretty legendary uh, as being a cursed house. One could say that there is a curse of the Long Acre, if you
0: will. Thus, our theme for the next couple of episodes.
1: Christina, what's our really amazing news that we need to share with everybody?
0: Well, over the break, friends, we hit 10,000 downloads. 10,000? Thousand downloads. And we've
1: only released like 22 episodes. Like,
0: Yeah, I know. That's it's insane. insane. 10,000. So thank you all so much for listening. Even if it's just like multiple times, we'll take it. Thanks.
1: I mean, <laughs> I prefer that more than just like, the okay, I'll put it on in my car while I'm driving to work. Like, no, I want to hear that you've listened to our chess episode six times. Like, yeah. one night <laughs> in Bangkok. Uh, <laughs>
0: Through 10,000 downloads, we've also gone back and looked out What was like coming up a lot in the first season was these connections between flops. Flops kind of follow themes, which, you know, is good and bad. I guess you know if you're in a flop, if it follows these themes. We decided on season two that we would follow that rabbit hole. And so we've created a couple episode arc in themes. So for our first couple of episodes, our theme is the curse of the long acre. So we dun, get to dun, talk. Dun. dun dun dun. So we're going to be talking about flops that flopped in the Flop House, the Long Acre L- Theater.
1: Legitimately, the Flop House. Well, okay. <laughs> so, so Christina, what musical are we covering that flopped at Broadway's greatest Flop House,
0: Diana the Musical,
1: which is like I think the most recent flop on Broadway, right?
0: That and Jagged Little Pill.
1: That yeah okay there's 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 those a, are there's the a... two
0: those are the two, but tonight we're gonna focus on Diana. Diana has is book by Joe DiPietro, who is known for doing jukebox musicals. That's um, true. And then we have music by David Bryan of Bon Jovi fame, and lyrics are also by David Bryan and Joe DiPietro. It was directed by Christopher Ashley. Now here's the incredible plot. Is everyone ready? Yes. The Life of Diana, Princess of Wales. That's it.
1: That's it. That's the, the musical. musical. I mean, That's it. but there's so much more than that, but basically it. Now, yeah. so this musical opened on Broadway, eventually opened on Broadway in 2021. one. Yes. Yeah. It was supposed to open earlier that, but it opened on Broadway in 2021. But it started its journey... Sometime around the 2016 2017 mark, uh, there was famously a reading at Vassar College in 2017 um, with Gina Duvall, who eventually played it on Broadway. And it kind of just snowballed from there. It's so crazy to think because we've kind of been in this for the past five years or so that this musical has come to Broadway in this weird, like, kind of renaissance here in America of interest in the royal family again, right?
0: I guess so. I was actually contemplating this question of why this show, why now? Because this year, this past year alone, 2021, we had the film Spencer come out, we had the series of The Crown with Diana in it, and we had this musical. Right. And I was like, why is this all of a sudden happening now? And then I realized that this year, 2022, is actually the 25th anniversary.
1: Oh death. I didn't I didn't even make that connection, yeah. oh my gosh. I was giving Ryan Murphy all the credit for it, but there you no, go, no, um, it's
0: um, it's because it's the twenty five year. I think that's what people were gunning for is that there okay. was going to be this excitement around wanting to know her story again because of the anniversary of her death. And the thing that strikes me strange about this particular musical is that the entire creative team, are American,
1: yeah. Okay, so let's let's go Vassar College to this. Yeah, like, sorry, launching on stage. Right, they do this reading, and then it ends up premiering as a full-on musical for the first time in 2019. Right, mm.
0: and in 2019 is when it goes to La Jolla. Right, where it, I mean, the reviews that came out in 2019 they were bad. I remember <laughs> when this premiered in La Jolla. I almost went to go see it and it was just everybody hated it. But it and was I a, was shocked.
1: But it was a sellout hit and extended twice. One of the most successful musicals ever to play La Jolla Playhouse.
0: Yeah, I just don't get it, though, because everyone I spoke to who did see it didn't like it. So it was, okay. I am merely speculating, but it very much feels like people were going to watch a car crash. I don't I don't want to say that and like demean anyone's work by any means, but like that's what it feels like.
1: There was one review that I read that was basically like it's springtime for Hitler live on stage.
0: We hey. had that conversation today, Bobby. When um, I was talking to Steven. Y- oh my y- gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if people were hate watching or what, but it was it was successful money-wise in La Jolla, yeah. which is why they rushed it to the Broadway canceled because of COVID, right. f- filmed for Netflix, unprecedentedly right. filmed for Netflix.
0: And let's also be really clear about the filming for Netflix. So they filmed in 2020. They filmed it in 2020 with right. no audience. So right. just the cast doing the show and the crew running backstage. Right. And basically ran it like a film set. And they filmed it before it ever opened, which I think is the first time in Broadway history that that's ever happened where the filmed version premiered before opening night. I think
1: you might be right.
0: It was going to be a really interesting experiment, in my opinion, of what happens if people have already seen the filmed version. Will they want to go see the live version? Right. Right? Which is a big conversation between Broadway producers about filming Broadway shows. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I I
1: can't think of another moment where... The only one I can think of of it being maybe filmed before Broadway, but I don't think it was released until later, was right. Putting It Together, which was filmed at the Mark Taper Forum in L.A. out of town before it transferred to Broadway. But I don't think they released it until after the yeah, Broadway I don't revival think that it, happened.
0: Exactly. And that's the difference, right? Is that they released it before opening night on Broadway.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it was like half of that could be smart to be like, look, COVID... We're bringing you the theater. I mean, so many people were like dying for entertainment and so exhausted watching, you know.
0: Come From oh, Away on Apple TV was very successful. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it makes sense. It's just that this this one didn't quite hit the mark, I guess. And we also have to acknowledge that the Razzie Award nominations have come out.
1: I mean, you know, for a show that I is it gonna be eligible for Tony's next year? Was it already eligible?
0: I I think it was already eligible. But I could be wrong.
1: I mean, it it, it was it was the top nominated film at the Razzies. This it was year.
0: nine <laughs> nominations, friends.
1: In, including Worst Picture, uh, Worst Actress, and um worst on-screen couple.
0: Yes. What was the on-screen couple?
1: Any klutzy dancer. And the musical numbers, so... Great. Cool.
0: Awesome. We should also say that there was another movie musical that was nominated for several Razzies, and that was Dear Evan Hansen.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and movie musicals have been fodder of the Razzies in the past, you know, because yeah. Hollywood has opinions about the genre. Dear Evan Hansen had some good ones. Best on screen or worst on screen couple for that was Ben Platt and any actor who thinks that Ben Platt singing 24 seven is normal. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but um, Diana, I think is super unique because I've never heard of a live tape Broadway performance being nominated before.
0: Yeah, I don't... I guess I just don't know how that works. If it had been good, could it have been nominated for Emmys and Oscar? SAG Awards?
1: Yeah, well, I, I guess not Oscars because Hamilton was ineligible. But yeah. it did win Emmys?
0: I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also nominated for SAG Awards.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's, Maybe. It's weird because... I I don't think any other live to tape other than Hamilton has received as much press as Diana did (laughs) given that it came out during the pandemic. And it makes me worried that like future live tape performances, uh, are producers going to be scared to do it because they might get Razzies or maybe it's like a badge of honor.
0: It might. I mean, Razzies in Hollywood kind of become a badge of honor. Right. With certain people. Um, like, the fact that they get nominated or win a Razzie is actually really exciting to them.
1: I, and I it's kind I've, of
0: those who are able to take it in good humor and, and able to take it in their stride, you know? I Right. Mean, I think if I ever got nominated for a Razzie, I would wear it with pride. Well, I think I've heard
1: that Alan Menken, who won a Razzie for the song My Lovey-Dovey Baby... Or either that or high times, hard times in the movie Newsies. Mm-hmm. I think he keeps his physical Razzie Award on the shelf next to all of his Oscars. And <laughs> just desserts because he won a Tony for Best Musical for Newsies on Broadway like mm-hmm. 25 years later. So, yeah. you know, sometimes, sometimes that little Razzie can turn into a
0: shiny other award. A shiny other award. and <laughs> One of the egots, well,
1: One no, of P-gots. There's lots of <laughs> things.
0: So, based on my research, there wasn't a ton that changed from La Jolla to opening night. Some songs, yeah, some songs changed, but it, like even with that extended break, unexpected. Mm-hmm. To be fair, um, there were they didn't make many changes. Just like added a couple of songs, from what I could tell. Yeah, I couldn't find any recordings of the La Jolla one, but yeah, it seems to be the same show, and. So let's get into the show itself. Let's get into the structure of what they wrote. Um, <laughs> yes. I I found it to be interesting at first. Like when they opened with that um, Underestimated. Right. I was like, whoa, this song. Okay.
1: And that was new for Broadway. So in La Jolla, it was like Once Upon a Time and it really leaned in to her mm-hmm. wanting a fairy tale as opposed to... Right, okay. Paparazzi. So there was a little bit of a thematic, like at the beginning, difference there. But underestimated,
0: fascinating. Yeah, I feel like it really set up that we were going to be living in her psyche and not in... Oh, interesting. The reality, which I was like, okay, I'm interested in that. I'm interested to see what is your dramatization of what she was thinking, right? That I find interesting. Right. And then they go into, then they break away from her after that song and it becomes about Camilla and Charles and they become like cartoon villain-esque. Like we went from an interesting, yeah, like we went from this really interesting introspective moment to the two of them like really being just heinous.
1: Well, and so much screen time and I don't know if well plotted out, you know, characterizations, but I definitely felt like we learned more about Camilla and Charles, at least information wise, than we really learned about Diana in the entire musical. I mean, and as an mm. outsider who really didn't understand Camilla, other than people don't like her, it was interesting <laughs> to to learn more about her in this musical. So that yeah. I took away from it, but I was like, this could easily be called Charles and Camilla. Like,
0: yeah, I don't disagree with you. And it, I, and same I didn't know much about Camilla other than again people didn't like her and she ended up marrying him anyways yeah like that was really all I knew and so it was interesting and in some strange way they made her kind of sympathetic and I actually I give more credit to the actress playing Camilla than I do the writing for that oh
1: and she's wonderful so she's
0: insane she was the best actor on stage in my opinion I she really just somehow really made that role work for her. It was really, really interesting to watch. But yeah, so like they they become really, like the things that they say in that first scene, I was like, whoa, we're just, we just went from like an interesting conversation about her introspective to this thing. And I don't know, it just then took the, the show to a completely different thematic place for me. And I was very confused. And then I spent the rest of the time Wondering why her wig looks so bad
1: Yeah, I mean, you know People used to give Katya On Drag Race All Stars Season 2 A lot of crap for her Her Princess Diana look From, uh, you know, Women History of the Women of the World or whatever Right Uh, she, She looked more like Diana than Gina did In this musical, so
0: I agree It really felt like the designers gave up Halfway through, right?
1: Yeah, well, and a short hairstyle on a woman like that Is tough when you're doing wigs, but they could sure. have. They could have done that better. I think Gina. I think Gina looks. I don't think she looks like her, but I think she gives the essence facially enough. Had the wig looked better and the costuming, because there was some of the costuming that looked a little clunky as well. You know, and for yeah, for a I woman, agree. for a historical figure who is like iconic for her pre-liberation clothes that the musical insinuates the queen picked out for her, yeah. <laughs> and her post-liberation like high fashion you know, Diana was a fashion icon. And so... She was, yeah. For some of those dresses to look clunky on the actress, especially in the filmed version of this, was a little bit like... Yeah. Because uh, these, these are iconic outfits, you know? Yeah. I mean...
0: Well, and because you're... As you pointed out, because you're filming it, you actually have the opportunity to do things more detailed than you wouldn't would necessarily for the stage. Right. Knowing that you can edit around a quick change <laughs> well that's the thing is you don't need a quick change so let's make it a full-on change like right like, i will say that on stage quick change that they show was really good i was like oh that was good wait we will take that
1: which one because there were two there were two iconic it was, ones
0: it was the i think it was during the first montage
1: okay i don't was it with remember the green dress
0: i think so yeah
1: into the white dress and then back to the green dress
0: yeah yeah and i was like that was good that was well, well done
1: that was good. The wedding dress felt a little clunky, like of her yeah, just like stepping into it, and it was a little Beetlejuice to to me. I don't know.
0: Well, uh, movie, you also like, yeah, having the filmed version, you can see the body double, and it's yeah, on, you know what I mean. That felt weird, and I didn't quite right. understand what was going on. I was like, um, "Is there gonna be a pot of duh? Like, what's happening? Why does she I, have I, a bo- body double?" Okay, so but I got uh, excited for a sec.
1: Yeah, but things both musically and staging wise were also very bizarre. I I Mm -hmm. didn't understand why it was a rock musical. And it was very much trying to be an 80s rock musical to the point where a lot of the songs felt like pastiches of very specific 80s songs. I was like, oh, we're changing these notes. Got it. Okay.
0: I mean, it's Bon Jovi's
1: co-writer. And I love his other musicals he's written. So, okay.
0: Yeah. And like, I didn't mind the rock aspect for Diana, but then like, why was her butler singing that song? And it just felt like, again, using it as her introspective voice made sense to me, like underestimated, right? Sure. I'm like, oh, I'm getting a glimpse into her psyche. But then when everybody was singing that way, it felt wrong. Oh, gosh, especially... And like Ugh. also why was the queen also playing the sex uh
1: really author? confusing but like uh, really confusing. But the the doubling across the board because Camilla's husband was in the ensemble and heavily featured throughout the show. So I was same like why same with
0: is... Diana's sister.
1: Yes, to Diana's sister and I was like wait, are, are they in this number? Wait, who are they right now? Like I didn't understand. And maybe that was not as prevalent when you were watching it in a you know, in a 1300 seat theater. But
0: again, another opportunity you're filming it, have your understudies play the bit roles.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Like have the understudies play the bit roles. That makes sense. So that way you actually get a change. It's a, that's a fun opportunity. It gives them an opportunity to get featured, you know, and when they wouldn't normally be seen, which is cool. Right. But yeah, it just, the queen stepping into the, that was too much. That, that was too much that felt like some theme gone wrong where they were trying to like tell a secondary story i don't know i just especially like setting diana up with her man crush i don't know it just it was so strange and the i i really like that actress but like she didn't do enough to like Make them two different characters. No, and
1: they even joked at the beginning of act two. It's like, oh, I'm playing this one now. Like,
0: when I mean, right. she comes out and That's says right. that. Oh, uh, <laughs> like, I will what's... say, the first time she walked on stage, I was like, you look like the Iron Lady. Is I that know. the Iron Lady?
1: It looked, it was like, is this Margaret Thatcher? Right.
0: I was like, I, oh, like, is Margaret you don't Thatcher look like the also queen. in there? I was very confused, but yeah. There were just lots of things like that where, like, details were just missed. The specificity wasn't there.
1: And the, the voicing they decided to give the ensemble, be it, you know, the staff of Kensington Palace, you know, the staff of, or not the staff, that, you know, the, the people of Wales or whatever, it just, some of it felt so out of what you, what they would be saying i don't know like there was that number after you know um the opening number where it was like the people of it's the one where they're talking about like the worst job in the world or whatever and it was all the people of being like oh it's the worst job in the world i'm like this feels totally so wrong like it it, does it made me feel like springtime for hitler like was this a parody you know
0: I agree. There were many times where I was like, oh, is it supposed to be a... It's not supposed to be a parody because now we're talking about her suicide attempt. And it was very serious. Um, And then when she went into the hospital and they did the scene with the The men who had AIDS, it was such a disservice to that moment. It actually upset me because of the lyrics that were being said
1: there was something about being handsome and something yeah. that rhymed with handsome that was really inappropriate. And I really remember when this when this launched on Netflix, it was that moment in that lyric that everyone was texting me about, like, have you seen it yet? Because they knew that it would <laughs> like upset my soul.
0: And I was like, no, well, I'm waiting. to I would hope that it upsets anyone's soul. Because like... I don't know. I was just really let down in that moment. Like the mo that particular scene could have been like the resurrection of the show. You know and what I, I mean?
1: Look, and I I will say I did get feels from the scene as it was happening, but the lyrics across the board for this musical. If you take the music aside, the lyrics were I'm not going to even say that they were bad. I just think they were misguided to the point where uh Sometimes I really had to question is this parody or not and then Mm -hmm. some of the rhymes were very very basic again that I was like is this a choice or
0: yeah one of my favorites was it's a thriller from Manila. But it's Diana and Camilla.
1: Oh, that was a good one. That I knew you were gonna take notes on these, Christina, because like I
0: just couldn't, I couldn't not hear that one. That uh, especially because they repeat it several times in that song.
1: There was also the one about the queen talking about getting proposed to that Yes. Oh, and I don't I didn't even write it down, but it was like it was like three rhymes in a row that I was like, and this is a serious song. Yep. This is the serious song.
0: Yeah. It really Here's the big thing. Like the entire time I just sat there and I was like, this feels like a strange, no offense to Shonda Rhimes, but this feels like Shonda Rhimes took the Diana story and dramatized it. Oh, gosh. Do you know what I mean? Like it just was so dripping with unbelievable conversations. And it was frustrating. Like I know a lot of that happen but a lot of it is speculation and it feels you can just tell that it's not written by people who lived it you know what I mean in terms of like a British household you know like they they weren't they didn't wake up to the news you know what I mean like I don't know there's just something in it that you're like you you hear Americanization of the whole thing and this this musical will never be done in the UK you know what I mean
1: Yeah, no. Um, Possibly in other parts of Europe. But... I
0: don't know, man.
1: Only because the music is very much of a European musical theater sensibility. More so than a Broadway one, which confused me. Because as you mentioned, this team is American, which blew my mind. Because how, how can you take a musical about one of the most beloved historical figures in british history and not put i mean honestly i just the entire time i was watching it it wasn't even so much like why isn't this team british you know one of her best friends in life was elton john you know what Mm. i mean very close the two of them elton john famously rewrote candle in the wind when she passed Became a best-selling song on the radio. I mean, he was heartbroken, and I'm not going to say that Elton John would be the best choice for this musical, but I know that he would have at least written something had he written this musical uh, with a lot of care and a lot of respect for the figure. And I, not that I'm not that I don't think the people who wrote it didn't respect her. It's just she said she's a treasure. She's a treasured historical figure. And I didn't walk away from this musical feeling like the musical conveyed that. You know what I mean? Like they talked talked about it. Oh, everyone loves Diana. But like as an audience member, I don't feel like we were taken on a journey where we could truly understand what was transcending about this human being for so many people.
0: I agree. I didn't get that at all. And so it's, it's also brings up an interesting thought. Last year, we started with Marilyn American Fable, right?
1: Oh, There's so many similarities. I was going to bring this up. I'll continue. Yes.
0: So, we started with Marilyn American Fable, which flopped as well. And then I started thinking about it. What film, TV, and theater of Marilyn has ever been successful? The only one I can think of is My Week with Marilyn, which is actually told from someone else's perspective. It's not. It's not necessarily about her. And that's the only successful depiction of her.
1: I mean, there's that movie with Ashley Judd from the 90s and with Mira Savino as well, uh, Norma Jean and Marilyn. But, you know, they had to build that construct of keeping Norma Jean as right. a character and they, you know, they spoke and they had scenes with each other. And again, you know, it
0: was a TV movie and wasn't right. super successful. And, and, You know, even within going back to last year with Spencer, not a successful film, um, the the season with Diana on The Crown, Uh one of the least watched seasons of the entire series. Right. You know, and it begs a question for these kind of iconic women who as you just said, transcend, right? They transcend this idea of humanity. Do we want to see someone else be them? Do we want to see a dramatization of them? Or is it better to remember them how they were and in documentaries? And you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough because you look at the world of musical theater and you think of probably the two most iconic depictions of women of that nature. You know, Funny Girl, Fanny Bryce, and then Evita, Ava Perone, And those were done, obviously, many years after both of those people were famous. And, you know, in Ava's case, passed away. But as famous as they were and as iconic as they were, so you still have that, like, baggage to bring in with you. You know, how many people knew exactly every, like... Uh, performance of fanny bryce it gave barbara streisand a lot of room to reinterpret that and the in the fanny bryce that's in funny girl is a very different person than the fanny bryce that exists but we accept right. that because people don't have like Marilyn or diana you know you don't have this like etched in your brain how they Thank moved how they spoke every image of them ever and same thing with Ava Prone, we have pictures. We have a couple you know newsreels yeah. that get brought out, so it allows someone like Patty to come in and both of those musicals are very successful at taking these historical trans you know transcending women and dramatizing them. But I think you need you need that freedom you, I, and I don't know if you'll ever get that with Diana or Marilyn.
0: I agree. I mean, that was my thought as well. Is it just not long enough away? From it or is it like you said we have too much pre-existing material of them, right so we just you know how do you how do you do that um and so yeah, no that that was the question that came to my mind is is it even worth it? Should we just let them live in their ethereal place, you know what I mean?
1: Uh, possibly. I mean, I briefly mentioned Ryan Murphy a little bit ago. You know, right. one of the things in the zeitgeist that I think may have been a fire, you know, because Ryan Murphy's a force in Hollywood, you know, sure. after the first season of Feud, Betty versus Joan, you know, with Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange, the second season was meant to be Charles and Diana. You know what I mean? And I okay. don't even remember who he had cast if there had been any casting announced but he had announced this the show and decided after working on it for a while that he couldn't do it so i mean if ryan off the heels of doing that with two very iconic hollywood women you know what i mean there's a lot of people who could say how are you going to do betty davis and susan sarandon very successfully did that in that first yeah. season of the show. Same thing with Jessica Lang with Joan Crawford. How are you gonna do that with Charles and Diana and Ryan Murphy? And he's not one to like back down from anything. He no, that's true. F- like flat out was like, Yeah, I'm not I can't do it. <laughs> Next, let's move on, you know. So. Yeah,
0: I mean, if any of what is in the musical is true, I mean it's heartbreaking listening to it. And no one is a good guy. Like arguably, the way that they even depict Diana. I'm like, I need you to put your big girl panties on. Like, there were a couple of moments like that, you know what I mean? Where you can feel for her, but also, you're like, but also, honey, you got this. I don't know. It just really felt like nothing was fully thought out. Even the set design, the set design was so weird for me and, like, looked like a high school, like a well-done high school musical or well-done regional production. The fact
1: that the entire set consisted of those gates of Kensington Palace made me so upset the entire time. I was like, why are they Yeah, and you have an entire
0: LED back wall. You have an entire LED back wall.
1: We don't need the gates on 24-7. Like, take those gates away. Bothered me so much.
0: Yeah, it just didn't feel like anything was fully thought out. It really was like... Oh, well, it's a musical about Diana. We're going to make money, so who cares? Do you know what I mean? Like just throw it away.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. I don't know if someone could do it, but I think that if 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 someone were ever to try, I think that a team with a little bit more artistry and also mm. British. I again, Elton <laughs> John I think would be a good option. I don't think he would be the best, I mean, truly, and I don't think they would ever do it because they won't work together. But yeah. I I I think Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, specifically, both of them together, Mm. could do a very interesting Diana musical. I think they would have a lot to bring to the table. But I don't even know if that would be successful. You know what I mean? I think it would be better. Yeah, I don't
0: know. The big thing for me is the book. Like You've got to decide which point of view you're taking, I guess.
1: Well, what are the Um, stakes? Because with her okay, so she's being plucked out of this. I I didn't know she was a preschool teacher, but, like, we don't see any of that. You know, it's mentioned in passing, like, oh, I want to say goodbye to my preschool students, but we really don't see much of her life outside of the royal family, except Mm -hmm. for with her sister, but she also dated Charles, so then we don't really get much of, like, experiencing what she's giving up to become a princess, you know? and yeah. as we all got to watch with Kate Middleton, you know what I mean because it, yeah. when when her and William got married, a lot of us because they they got married in the days of the internet, a lot of us Americans were schooled on what does it mean for a commoner to marry into yeah. the royal family. Like yeah. and then again with Meghan Markle, like about how their families can't be at certain royal family functions, you know, and where their you know, children or their grandchildren are present you know blows a lot of our american minds yeah we don't see that in this musical which would have right that would have been very much some things that diana went through
0: yeah well i mean she was technically based on like what i could tell from the musical i did not do a deep dive into the royal family necessarily Mm -hmm. because i was trying to judge the musical on the musical right um but based on how they were talking about it she comes from pedigree yeah. She just was not so she comes from a titled family. Okay. Is, was my understanding. She just because she was like second or third child, okay. she doesn't have a, a big title. Okay. Um, but she she's a part of the that upper class okay. life was my understanding.
1: Well, and that's that's also a struggle too with this de- this musical being developed for an American audience. I feel like they totally missed the ball on necessary education you have to put into a musical like this because we don't know how any of that works. Out yeah, here. and
0: I was thinking about that because I watched I actually watched um, a thing today about like them explaining the m- multi billion dollar company that is the royal family. Right, and I was like. But how do you make that interesting and a musical? Like, how do you make someone sit through that kind of exposition? <laughs> <And> <laughs> you maybe you I mean? don't. Maybe like, you I don't, don't. know if you do.
1: Yeah. Uh. I, I don't know. Just her her calling Prince Charles from a payphone. Just it's just that just that scene. It's like, hi, can I talk to Charles? I was like, what is this? Like, can I call
0: the royal family? Can I no. do that? Yeah, it just, there were certain things like that that did not ring true. Right. Also, boyfriend coming in on um, a horse. Oh, stri- I was getting H. ready
1: for him to do a strip tease. Like, everything we had But he was already naked. To, I mean, for the most part, I was expecting him to get off whatever that horse was. And like, for a stripper pole to come down. Because that wouldn't have been more out there than anything that we'd seen so far. I mean. Yeah.
0: It was so bizarre.
1: We had watched a scene in the first act where there was a violinist, or no, it was a cellist playing, and all of a sudden, like the all everyone is like dancing 80s music, and the prince is like doing the robot. And I was like, Okay, well, all bets are off the table. Like this musical <laughs> could be anything it needs to be at this point, you know? So
0: well, and speaking of that character, they really didn't ring true because they like, make him out to be this party boy. And then like when she's like, well, no, you'll only ever be a party boy to be. He's like, that's not good enough. And I'm like, where did that come from? You just have spent- I
1: thought he was just supposed to be pretty and stupid.
0: I'm so confused.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I you know, I and then so they mention later about how good he is with the kids, but the kids aren't in the musical at all. No, we don't see the children, which
0: and the timeline of when they were born fell off in the musical.
1: I mean, Jana looked no different in 1980 than she did in 1997 at the end of the show. Also, the whole the whole timeline. I like, I'm like, did did 17 years pass? Like, is that what we're doing here? Because it was so it was so difficult to follow. Like, it happened sequentially. Like, so it's not like they jump back and forth, but any progression of time. Like, we didn't see Charles get gray. He definitely was gray in 1997. You know, we didn't see her mature, other than her clothing. We never saw the children. So we have no grasp of like how old they are at any moment, you know, in the Queen. I mean, she also aged a lot from 1980
0: to 1997, you know? Yeah. I, there was this thing about the hair and makeup for me that they all felt like, um, dolls
1: a little bit
0: do you know what I mean like they didn't they looked plastic because there was no characterization to their faces like you lost all dimension of their face and that was strange to me
1: (laughs) that could be the lighting wasn't adjusted well for the filming you know
0: yeah but I mean within that it just the story they're telling in some some moments are is so dark yeah which is fine I I mean, that's what happened to her, so that's what you should do. But then, right. like, the rest of the design doesn't reflect any of that. Right. The rest of the design looks like pop art to me. Like, it it's, was... It's so bright and so colorful and, like, nothing was distressed. Nothing was...
1: Yeah. And, I mean, just in, for clothing for the royals, like, the queen is iconically has looks from all of those years you know and we did not get to see i think many of the queen's iconic you know dresses and coats and gloves and hats and we got a little bit but speaking of
0: any fascinators i didn't get any big hats i was very disappointed
1: i mean that's part of the charm is her hats um But no, and the Queen, that was another thing that was really, really hard. They almost went there and then they went into that song about being, you know, the captain's wife or the soldier's wife. Like the Queen and Diana had such a complex relationship from what we know and all the speculation, but just a very complex relationship. And there was a there was a brilliant opportunity for a ballad for the Queen of of her struggling with Diana and her own past, that we never got anything significant other than that Captain's wife song, you know?
0: Yeah, which didn't go anywhere.
1: It didn't go anywhere at all. And I was like, the queen is one of the most complex figures in history, period. You know? Yeah. And not that it's her musical, but to to have someone like Diana marry into your family and you have very complicated feelings. Missed opportunities. So many missed opportunities.
0: I did appreciate that they ended with her death still. I mean, I think that was done relatively well. Right. It just wasn't earned at all, unfortunately. When I was sad,
1: we didn't get an epilogue, you know? Um, Yeah. We got a little bit like one day, and it was right before the end. You know, as long as William becomes king, okay. But like, not that we need a Hamilton Ending, you know, where like, oh, Eliza did everything. But, you know, her legacy really is her children. And both of them, one of them who is choosing to stay with the royal family and is going to eventually, it looks like, inherit the throne. You know, him and Kate's story, Kate having a lot of parallels with Diana. And then Harry choosing to do what Diana never was successfully able to do, move to North America, you know what I mean? Completely kick it all off and do his thing. I mean, you know, Diana, if she's somewhere, is probably, like, cheering her son (laughs) on right now. And it's like, so to have no reference to that at the end was a little bit sad, too, because it's like they both have taken different paths, and you know that she would be proud of both of them for different reasons, you know? And yeah, don't, no,
0: that's a good point.
1: You now, of course, it's totally worth mentioning how... I mean, some of this cast is pretty amazing. You know, despite some of the inconsistencies with maybe the storytelling or the score itself, like, uh, there are some amazing performances. I mean, Gina does uh, what I think she can with the
0: material, you know? Oh, no, she, her voice is insane. Her voice is insane. The way she moves through that material through... Using that internal rock voice and into her contemporary soprano and how she also, what I appreciated about what she was doing throughout the entire show was that she started the show where anything she was singing was with that contemporary soprano sound. Even her internal conversations. And as she grew, her voice changed. She made a conscious decision to allow her voice to change as she got darker and deeper into her life. Right.
1: Absolutely. And well, you know, an an interesting thing that I think she did, and I don't know if it's something she worked on with the director or something that that she brought to the table, is I I do think that there was an attempt for her to elevate what she had to work with. Because there were a lot of moments that I did feel a choice was made for her to almost remove herself from the circumstances you know and I was watching her psychosis go on in her head as things were going on around her and I was like I just wish you had better material to to go further with that you know what I mean because I could see her having these psychotic breaks you know this is Gina's like this was meant to be her big break on Broadway she's been around for a bit she famously one of her first projects here in New York was the Carrie revival where she played Chris Uh, Back in 2012. She's been involved with Wicked, I believe. She was in Waitress. Well, she was
0: in Waitress and she was in Kinky Boots.
1: Right. Oh, she was a replacement. Yes, in Mm -hmm. Kinky Boots. I worked with her once upon a time. She did uh, the regional tour of Broadway Rocks. She was a literal last-minute replacement for Emmy Raver Lampman, who left our show to go do Janis Joplin. So she left at tech rehearsal. And Gina came in. And I'll never forget it because we were like in... Illinois somewhere, and I had to literally drive like two and a half hours at night to the airport in Chicago to pick her up and then bring her back to this small town in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. where we were doing these shows and i I'd, I'd never met her before, and this is when I found out she was British. I had no idea. I literally picked her up and she like says hello and she's British, and I was like, Oh hi, I thought you were American, oh my goodness. Uh, and she was like the sweetest human being uh, ever. But she came in, and she was very humble. And but she came in and and basically within hours learned because in that show it was all sorts of crazy songs. Like she had to sing like "Holding Out for a Hero," It was all these rock songs that have been in in right. Broadway shows. And she's just belting her face off. And I'm like, you just got the material yesterday. Okay, great, amazing. So cool, 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 cool. cool. Amazing human being.
0: I mean, in the. Like I said earlier, Camilla, Aaron Davey is just... Her acting work in this show was insane. And which is saying a lot because the script wasn't great. But her specificity work and and whatever it was that she chose to play through through the show really landed for her and for this character. And it was really fun to watch her. And... Look, I love Judy Kay. And Judy Kay is incredibly talented. I mean... But this did not feel like her role for me.
1: Okay. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, Judy Kay is a legend. I mean, famously replacing Madeline Kahn in On the 20th Century. These two roles, she was technically very good, but... Oh,
0: yeah. No, she was. And honestly, I think her as the, the writer, the romance writer was probably more on brand for her.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: It was kind of funny because I was watching and it was reminding me of an interview I heard of Olivia Coleman, where she, (laughs) she, they had to have an inner ear for Olivia Coleman because they needed someone to talk to her about really dull things while she was giving a monologue because she just gives way too much expression in her face for the queen. Right. And that's kind of how I felt with Judy Kay where I'm like, you are actively trying to not be as animated as you normally are oh yeah so when it switched into the the other character she like got to let go you know and Uh,
1: and she did her hair down
0: it was very much in like and
1: now she's now i get to
0: just have fun um so yeah it was it was interesting i mean they got broadway royalty and as much as I didn't like the character of Prince Charles, I thought that Ro... I'm not going to say his name right. Hart, Hartramf, Hart,
1: Heart... Heartrampf? tramp,
0: Something like that. But Ro, sir, you are really fabul- fabulous. Um, and I thought he was the closest to like actual physical characterization of the historical figure you know, he was able to embody Charles in a way that it felt like no one else in the cast was able to embody their characters. I don't yeah, know what young that Charles, was, but young Charles yeah.
1: specifically too. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, definitely felt that way about him. Uh, you know, Gareth who played James Hewitt, you know, uh, naked horsey boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was also good in what, the character that was written for him, but I was a little disappointed they were both kind of Screamy Rock Tenors, you know? Um, Yeah. That I had. I actually think that making Charles a Screamy Rock Tenor was a little bit of a disservice because I almost felt like we needed a baritone to show the regalness. You know what I mean?
0: I thought it played into his whininess. Okay, interesting. You know, pampered boy feel where like he should get what he wants no matter what, which is kind of what they were going yeah. for. So for me, him being a tenor actually really played into that.
1: Oh, interesting. I didn't see it that way.
0: But yeah, no, I mean, that's the interesting thing about a show like this is because there isn't a clear point of view. Right. You get that feeling, don't you? Where one person wants the regal tone and the other one's like, no, it's okay that he's whiny because that's what you wrote. you know? Right. <laughs> like, and so it, it, it is that it leaves it open to chance, but Overall, I thought that the cast was really, really talented. It just... Unfortunately, the material didn't support them. Yeah. But I think that we should... Now, let's discuss The Curse of the Long Acre.
1: Right. So, this musical is just the latest in a series of flop musicals that have played at The Long Acre, which is, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode... A cursed house. It's 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 a flop house. Like
0: yeah, it is.
1: Now the reason this theater is cursed is because of superstition and not even theatrical superstition. No, um, siree, Bob. But superstition in the world of sports. Now, Christina, before we went into the research on this, did you know about this curse at all?
0: No, I. I mean, I know about the curse of the great Bambino. Okay, you best believe that I know all about that. Well, because, I
1: mean, that's the root of it all. Is It's the it, curse it of the Bambino, okay?
0: It is. I had no idea that the guy who sold Bambino yes. is also the one who then was like, I'm going to produce musicals. Like, no, no, Nanette. I, I was like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, basically, this guy, Harry Frazee, owned the Red Sox, famously sold Babe Ruth's contract to the Yankees. Uh Cursing the Sox for 80, 80, was it 84 years?
0: I think so. I do remember when the curse was broken. It was I a big I sat and watched deal. that game. I watched that game hard.
1: Are, are you a Sox fan?
0: I, I'm not a Sox fan. I am a baseball fan. And so it was the most exciting thing in the world for me to see okay. that happen. I okay. also am like probably one of the biggest Sandlot fans you'll ever meet.
1: Oh, hello. So...
0: There's also that. It was 86.
1: 86 years that the Red Sox, which were like, had won the first World Series, had won like five by that point, Mm -hmm. went on not to win another one for 86 years.
0: The most ridiculous.
1: Like blamed on this dude for selling Ruth's contract to... And then the Yankees before this, you know, getting Babe Babe Ruth, Ruth... Had not been a successful team at all. Nope. And then they go on to becoming one of the biggest teams
0: I in mean, the industry. The all babe, right. the babe was the best.
1: Yeah, he no, was. it's true. It's true. And so then Harry is this Broadway producer, and the legend is is that he sold Babe Ruth's contract to produce No No Nanette the musical. But according to historians, that's not a hundred percent correct. He actually sold it to produce. It, like it, timing wise it times right. out the play that No No Nanette is based on which because No No Net happened later like five years later still
0: that means that that blood money is running through that the story Broadway,
1: the Broadway community and then he built this theater which has produced a lot of musical flops like a lot also famously any musical about like Babe Ruth or like whatever has never been successful so that's, that's also a thing there you go there you go
0: well, it's the curse so, of Babe Ruth, really. The curse of the great Bambino. Thank you all so much for joining us on this journey and us discussing Diana. Uh, so in lieu of doing clues this season, we're not going to do any clues. Instead, please head to our socials so you can learn more about the Longacre curse and other. Musicals that happened at the Long Anchor that may have been a part of the flop house. And also, Bobby, should we give them the title of our next episode?
1: I know this is so exciting. We're actually going to tell you th- what show we're covering on our next episode in two weeks. So Christina, drum roll, please <gasps> first, first date. date! one of my favorite musicals
0: mine too Uh, oh
1: i'm so excited all right kids head to our socials we're on facebook instagram twitter and sometimes tiktok and of course you can find us on the web at www.myfavoriteflop.com and of course do not forget in case you haven't done so already on apple Podcasts, you can click that little ding Subscribe button To make sure you're notified Of every new episode Of this show uh, And hey Why not write us A five star review Helps Yeah it's other a new ev- season New season New reviews Tell all your friends
0: Tell all the friends
1: Alright Christina Do you have any Parting words For our guests
0: Broadway is back And we're in Good company But um. Okay Bye
1: I-